Well, good morning. How are you guys doing? You good? Good. I like a little bit of liveliness at 930 in the morning. Uh, but I want to take a few minutes right at the top of our day and honor a man that has made an undeniable impact on our culture, our country, and actually on your life and on mine, and that is um, Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, tomorrow is Martin Luther King Jr. Day, um, one of the leaders of the civil rights movements many, many dec decades ago. Um, what was he fighting? Inequality and racism in our country. And um, he lived a life of impact through sacrifice. And ultimately paid the ultimate sacrifice with his life. And I don't want us to miss out on remembering how impactful a life can be when you and I choose to actually serve rather than be served. And so I want to read to you kind of some of the reason why his life was so different and had such an impact. He actually had a list of rules to live by, rules for life that he wrote, that he lived by. And anybody that followed him, anyone that was a part of his movement, that basically were expected to adopt these rules for life. And I want to read them to you because they're really powerful if you just think about um, living your life like this um, every day. So let's go ahead and start with the first one. I'll just read them, read them, read them to you. Uh, the first one was meditate daily on the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. Um, that was just a part of his regular uh, life rhythm, was, was daily meditating on the life and teachings of Jesus. Remember that the nonviolent movement seeks justice and reconciliation, not victory. And that really, if you know what he did with his life, as you study his life, he lived this. He lived this. The next one, um, walk and talk in the manner of love. For God is love, and he loved even those who were persecuting him. Um, let's, let's go on. Uh, pray daily to be used by God in order that all might be free. What a cool prayer for every day, isn't it? Like, just God, help me make sure that everyone is free. Um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a couple more. Observe with both friend and foe the ordinary rules of courtesy. Um, and man, is that easy to read and hard to live out. Um, seek to perform regular service for others in the world. On a regular basis, seek to perform regular service for others in the world. And refrain from violence of fist, tongue, or heart. And I'll just say this. May we all strive to be a little bit more like those who have gone before us and changed us. Because whether you know it or not, that man, Martin Luther King, led a revolution that has changed all of us. So let me pray for us. Um, Jesus, I thank you that you have given us so many examples in Scripture and even in our modern day of what it looks like to live with values that come right out of Scripture, what it looks like to pray and meditate on your teachings and your word and to, to serve others without wanting anything in return. Lord, I pray um, as we celebrate Martin Luther King Jr.'s life tomorrow, I pray that we would be a little bit more like him in our everyday life, looking to you for guidance and direction and drawing on your strength and your power to literally change the world around us. In your name. Please come. 
song was um, written by a friend of mine named Danny Cox, and uh, his story is really cool. He was a professional drummer in Detroit, um, one, of the, one of the best drummers in Detroit, and he got invited to play at Kensington up in Michigan. There's a number of campuses of Kensington up in the Detroit area, and he got invited to play and um, started playing in the van, and it was one Easter that he was playing, and he didn't want really anything to do with God, didn't really have a desire to get to know God, but over the course of time, he's finally playing in, in the Easter service, and it hits him that there's truth to the story of Jesus, and Jesus kind of invades his life, and he accepts Christ um, almost on the spot in that moment. And he goes on through a little bit of time after that, he goes on to eventually join the staff of Kensington and become one of the worship leaders. And the very first time he was asked to lead worship, he wrote this song. 
He said, Jesus, make me small in this moment. I don't want it to be about me, because, which is the opposite of the goal in the music industry, right? It's like you want it to be about you. And he's just going, Jesus, look, I've lived my whole life with it being about me because I'm a performer and I'm on stage. But in this moment, would you please just make me small um, and help me to see you in the moment? Because he understood that following Jesus meant taking the attention off of ourselves and putting it onto Jesus, which gets us to today's message. This series is called The Road Home, and uh, we've been taking a journey back to what Jesus intended when he began the movement of the church, and it's since become very different in a lot of ways. So the very first week, two weeks ago, um, uh, we talked about how Jesus didn't come to start a religion, a bunch of rule followers. Um, he came to start a relationship with us individually um, between us and God. He came to start that relationship because God's a relational being. Uh, last week, which was uh, the second week, um, was God, Jesus came not to build a building, but a family, a family of Christ followers, um, where they experience community and, and kind of connection of hearts um, as, as a family. And then this week, um, we titled it, uh, Jesus didn't come to power over us, but rather to serve under. It's to not power over, but serve under. Over the centuries, in the name of God, um, there have been terrible abuses of power by the church, right? Countless lives hurt and abused um, uh, by the power of the church. And I'll just tell you, God never intended his power to be used by the church to, to, to hurt and to harm, but rather he wanted to use his power to bring life, creativity, human flourishing. But when we get our hands on power, kind of humanity... And we tend to use power to oppress, to hurt, and to lord over other people. And you see this in the religious community kind of throughout history, where the power that is afforded to those in leadership is used not for the purposes of Christ, but to lord over and use on people. So consequently, we have generations of people who uh, don't feel disenfranchised by God and don't, don't dislike God and have a problem with God. They have a problem with organized religion. They've been disenfranchised by the church when all along Jesus didn't show up on earth and sacrifice his life so that the church could power over anyone. In fact, he rebuked the religious organizations of the day. And that's kind of been our theme. It's like Jesus has always been against uh, the religion of the day. He actually wanted to build a following that was based on relationship, love, kindness, humility, and like Martin Luther King Jr., who was one of his followers of serving one another. That's the heart of Jesus. That's what the, the church is supposed to be. At. Jesus came to create a following of people that all work at Chick-fil-A, okay? That's what Jesus came to create, a following of people that all work at Chick-fil-A because there's something at Chick-fil-A, which is where you get Jesus chicken, by the way. There's something about Chick-fil-A that makes you want to go back, and it's not um, the chicken. It's not the Chick-fil-A sauce, um, which is created and produced in heaven, by the way. Um, it's actually the service, isn't it? Um, it's the service in, in Michigan where I moved from. Uh, I lived there for 18 years. I moved nine years ago. Um, they didn't have Chick-fil-A. So I've only experienced Chick-fil-A for like the last nine years since we moved here on a regular basis. And it is still heartwarming to go in there and uh, to, to hear my pleasure when they serve you and you say thank you. Isn't that great? Like I, still, nine years later, when I hear a teenager Say, my pleasure. It's like, man, I love this place. And it doesn't matter if they get fired for not saying it. I still like hearing it, right? I still like that they say that. And when you don't hear it at Chick-fil-A, you kind of notice it. So like I said, for 18 years, I lived in, in Michigan. Um, to get to a Chick-fil-A, you had to drive to the armpit of America, Ohio. Um, and uh, I think it's because they couldn't find people in Michigan that would say, my pleasure, after serving you. Um, 
but, uh, but, but I go, uh, they finally have some Chick-fil-A's in Michigan, right? And so uh, I go to one at the Detroit airport, and uh, it's, it's like my first time at a Chick-fil-A in Michigan while I'm traveling a few years ago, and I'm super excited. I go up there, and, and I'm just going, I, I order my stuff. Uh, I didn't know how it would be if the service would be the same because I'm used to down here. Um, so I, it's a huge line. I order my stuff, and when I get my order, I need um, four Chick-fil-A sauces and three honey-roasted barbecue sauces. Um, for just me, okay, I'm sorry. Uh, I probably have more calories and sauces than the actual food, but it's so good, right? Um, so I, I, uh, I asked for my four Chick-fil-A sauces and, and three honey roasted barbecues. And this young girl goes and gets me the stuff. And when she comes back, I say, thank you. And what am I waiting to hear? My pleasure, right? I'm not joking. She walks up, because I'm like, can they do this in Detroit? So she, she literally, she walks up and she like sprawls it out on the counter and walks away. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it was so disappointing. And I'm like, figures, you know, um, it, it, but, but it was kind of one of those deals of going, man, you know, I, I thought about calling it in and going, they didn't say like my pleasure. Um, but I just thought, yeah, they might just need a little more training, right? It's like new in Detroit. But uh, you know, how many of you guys like good service? How many of you like good service? Um, on the count of three, I want you to yell out um, what restaurant in the area you think has the best service. Okay. One, two, three. All right, Firehouse Subs. Did somebody say Blimpies? Is there Blimpies up here? I might have misheard wrong. Um, I, I did this with the Orlando Magic a couple nights ago, Friday night in Chapel, and, uh, and it was so funny. I'm just like, okay, guys, on the count of three, tell me what restaurant in the area you think has the best service. And one of the guys goes, McDonald's. <laughs> and all the other guys go, look at him like that. And he's like, I mean Chick-fil-A. I mean Chick-fil-A. And everybody falls out of their chairs laughing. Um, but there's nothing like someone serving you as the customer especially those that go like the extra mile and wait on you hand and foot and they care for every little detail. Like we live in a part of the world where the customer is king, right? The customer is always right. The customer is most important. And we get good, when we get good service, we feel important. We feel noticed. We feel honored. We feel valued. Um, and in our culture, you can kind of come to expect that. Some e might even say that one of the large goals of life in our life um, is to know that you've arrived when you're finally the boss and you can give the orders. Um, and if you work hard enough, you can actually make enough where you, you will never have to do servant work again if you get successful enough. And if you really get successful, I mean, kind of one of the goals in our society is to, to get so successful that you can actually hire people to serve you in your personal home. Like that's like, wow, and you can do that. That's pretty amazing. Um, and like anything, it can be both good and bad. Um, but I think we all understand this is a common experience in the world we live in. This is a common goal, not to be the servant, but, but actually having servants, so to speak. Would it surprise you to know that um, Jesus not only taught for mo but, but modeled for us that the goal in life is to end up being the servant, not the master? Jesus really taught that. He modeled it for us. That the goal in life, our goal in life, should be to become the servant and not the master. And I'll just tell you this. If you and I have any chance of building a healthy church, an a, uh, effective church, a useful community uh, that is impacting the world around us, we need to understand that the heart of Jesus and what he intended the church to be was that we would have a heart of service. Was that our goal in life would be to be the servant, not the master. 
And I'll tell you, Jesus had no problem rebuking those who missed the mark um, when they tried to power up and leverage their position or use their position to be the master and to have people serve. In Mark 11, he goes into the, the temple and he um, turns uh, the, the, the money changers' tables over uh, because people had been become more concerned about making money than they were about sacrificing and being right before God. In Matthew 23, he calls out the religious leaders as hypocrites because they were more concerned about imposing rules and lording their power over people while missing the bigger things like faith, justice, and mercy. In Matthew 6, Jesus taught against the religious leaders who served God for the sole purpose of wanting praise from people rather than serving people. And not only did Jesus um, speak and act against the culture of the religious that had been created that was a power over, a power up, a use your power on, um, use your influence to, to make people do what you want, but he was crystal clear about the church culture that he wanted to create through us. Jesus had been living out his life, being an example of humility. He was serving people, healing people, loving the unlovable. He was talking to and spending time with people that no other religious leader had. Uh, he would talk with people that were their standing in, in their stature in the community, were people that no one else would associate with. And Jesus went right to them and served them. He loved them, the lowest of the low in the culture. His disciples aren't quite picking this up. They spent three years with him. And uh, there's, this great, uh, there's this great interaction where you find the disciples actually vying for power inside this group of disciples. You've got 12 of them, and they're vying for power within. In Mark 10, um, verse 35, then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, their nickname is the Sons of Thunder. I don't know why they called them the Sons of Thunder. Maybe they had really big thighs. Who knows? Um, but they came over, and they spoke to Jesus. They come over to Jesus, and they go, Teacher, we want you to do us a favor. Do us a solid, right? They're like, come on, Jesus, we need something from you. Um, well, what's your request, he asked. They replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, we, me and my brother, want to sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and one on your left. Now, in that culture, you need to know where you sat meant everything. When you sat down at the table, when you sat down in the throne room, the, first, the most powerful person other than the one on the throne was the person on his right, and the second most powerful was the one on his left. Most important seats available, these two are going, Jesus, bam, bam, right here. That's us, sons of thunder. But Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I'm about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptisms of suffering I must be baptized with? Um, and what is he saying? He's referring to his upcoming death. Are you able to die for all of mankind and take on the suffering that's coming? And they blow off what he's saying and they go in verse 39. Oh, yes, they replied, we are able. Like, could you just imagine? Yes, great and mighty Jesus, we are able to do this. Please give us the seats on your right and left hand. Like, I just see them being so oblivious to what he's saying to them. Well, verse 41 comes around with the 10 other disciples heard what James and John had asked. They were indignant. They are ticked off. They are appalled at this. And now here's the question I always wonder. Do you think they're upset because they can't believe how much James and John missed the mark and didn't understand what Jesus was teaching? You think that's why they're upset? No, they're upset because, dang it, I didn't get to answer that first. This stinks. You guys suck. You know, it's like we wanted to ask that. I wanted that spot. Why are you asking? That they're mad at them because they didn't get the chance to ask. So Jesus realizes, I, I can just imagine him going, they are still not getting this. What do I got to do? What do I got to show these guys for them to get the reality of the kingdom that I want to build on earth? So Jesus called them together in verse 42. You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, 
The officials flaunt their authority over those under them. You know that's how the world works. You know that everybody else does it this way. But among you, it will be different. Among you, my followers, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. And I love this. In God's economy, Jesus is just laying it out there. First among you in God's economy is the slave of everyone else is the one in the back of the pack. The higher you are in position, the lower you become in posture. The more you journey with Jesus, the path up actually leads down. The more you journey with Jesus, the path to greatness is actually a path to servanthood, not to power and privilege, but to servanthood. Why? Because even Jesus, God in the flesh, he did not come here so that we would serve him. He didn't show up and say, I'm here. Tell me how awesome I am. Come on, seriously. Right? I'm pretty cool, aren't I? I mean, you see that what I did with that dude? Like, no arm, arm. Like, wow. It's pretty good. I I would like that Jesus just lived. Um, I think so often we just forget the reality that the goal of life isn't to end up as the master. It's the servant. It's the goal of our life. It's not to end up as the master, but the servant. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. He didn't come here to be the master. He came here to lay down his life for us. And here's one of the most incredible things about this. Anyone can be a servant, no matter what your position. Anyone can do it. And I'm going to let you hear about this. And And that thought, I didn't get that from me. I actually got it from Martin Luther King. And I want you to hear him talk about the reality that anyone is capable of serving. So let's play that clip. It's an audio clip. And so Jesus gave us a new norm of greatness. If you want to be important, wonderful. If you want to be recognized, wonderful. If you want to be great, wonderful. But recognize that he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. That's a new definition of greatness. This morning, the thing that I like about it, by giving that definition of greatness, it means that everybody can be great because everybody can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't, know, you don't have to make your subject and your verb agree to serve. You don't have to know about Plato and Aristotle to serve. You don't have to know Einstein's theory of relativity to serve. You don't have to know the second theory of thermodynamics in physics to serve. You only need a heart full of grace. Soul generated by love. You can be that servant. I've been thinking about changing my preaching style. Because <laughs> we all can serve. I love that thought. It's like, no, you know what this means? Every one of you can be great in God's kingdom. Every single one of you. 
And there's no one greater than the other. Because what's the call to serve? Not to be great, not to have the best gifts, not to be able to speak the best. It's just to serve the most and the best. I love that. And I love hearing stories of people who live out their faith in a way that allows them to serve other people. There's a great story I heard. Um, you know, there's two NFL games on today, right? Um, L.A. Rams versus New Orleans and then uh, New England versus Kansas City. Um, and in the first game, I was really leaning towards um, <clears throat> rooting for L.A., um, but then I heard this story about Drew Brees um, from one of my buddies, Chris Zarbaugh. You guys know him. He was here a few months ago speaking. Um, he actually, uh, when, the, when New Orleans Saints come through Detroit, uh, typically Kensington guys will do chapels for the opposing team. And Chris has done a number of chapels for the New Orleans Saints. And he says there's a, uh, this last season he was speaking at the chapel with the Saints, and I uh, took his son with him. And after the chapel, uh, all the guys had left their notes and pens all over the room um, and were all hanging out. He said there's about 10 of them left. And, and Chris's son um, went up to Drew Brees, who was standing there chatting, and he goes, hey, what, what, do, what do we need to do with all these pens and papers? You know, should I go pick them up? And Drew goes, no, 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 you don't do that. You leave them right where they're at. And so, uh, so Stephen went, okay. And he went back over and talking with his dad. And they turn around about five minutes later. And who do you think is going through the room picking up the papers and pens? It's Drew Brees. And Stephen goes up and he goes, he goes, you know, Mr. Briggs, I'm here. Let me help you with that. And he goes, no, no, man, I don't need to do it. You just stay right there. And, and he wouldn't let Stephen help him because he was almost finished with it. And as Chris was going, Stephen, get in there and help him. Like, go help him. I don't care what he says. Go help him. Uh, the other guys on the team started laughing, laughing at Chris and laughing at Stephen and laughing at Drew. And they just say, that's who he is. Chris is like, what? He just serves. He serves those guys. He lives out his faith. He's a, follower. He's a Christ follower. And what Chris has found out over the course of doing multiple chapels is that he's the real deal. He's one of the most humble guys that Chris has ever met in that position um, to the point where his team absolutely loves him. And I got to think part of it might be because he can throw a ball pretty good and, and they can win championships. But I think another part of it is he serves them. The guy they should all be following, the guy who's the number one face of the team that's in the middle of everything, actually serves under that team, behind the scenes and stuff that you and I will never see, to the point where his teammates go, they just laugh and go, that's true. He lives out his faith. So, you know, I'm kind of leaning towards the saints this afternoon. I'm not going to lie. Uh, but Jesus, Jesus really modeled this from his birth to his death. And so I want to I wanna share with you five images, five images, um, milestones in the life of Jesus that reinforce that Jesus didn't just talk about serving others. He actually lived it throughout his life and then ultimately his death. And as I walk through these images, I want you to just do some introspective work on your heart and where your heart is at. And if and you can see for yourself, if you need to do a little bit of work on how you view life, how you're living your life right now, as watching, looking at Jesus's life might speak to all of us through it. And so here's the first image that I want to show you. Um, that's just kind of a, a milestone in the life of Jesus from the very, very beginning. Um, we have this manger. We just talked about this at Christmas a few weeks ago, uh, where while other stories of princes and future kings, they describe grand palaces, and they're born into these protected fortresses, and they're, they're like kind of born into power. Our Savior, Jesus, showed up through this moment where God orchestrated the circumstances where there was no lodging available for them. 
and they had to go to a manger. That's how humble the beginnings of his birth were. From the very first moment, he chose the path of humility. Chose the path of humility. And just in how he showed up to earth, it shows that God is not about powering up. He's about serving under. The second image is this. Um, It's the lamb. I know. Isn't that a funny looking picture? I'm like, oh, how cute. Um, You would never punch that in the face. Like you would just hug it, right? Like that's what you want to do. Um, but this second image is, is the lamb, and it's a, the image of, of the, the, that we he see in Scripture from John the Baptist. He was a prophet who went before Jesus, and he was known for creating a huge following and promising people that the Savior of the world, the Messiah, was finally here. And when he finally sees Jesus for who he is in that moment, this is what he says in John 1.29. He says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now, you got to know in this culture, a lamb is what you offered as a sacrifice to pay for your sins. Like you grabbed your little lamb and you held it like this and you walked it into the temple and it was slaughtered to pay for your sins, for, for, for your family's sins. Your sins were placed upon it and it was taken out because innocent blood had to be shed to pay for sin. And here we have the Lamb of God, God bringing his Lamb into the temple to be slaughtered. For who? You and me. I don't think there's another image that really illustrates kind of the frailty and the gentle and inoffensive um, presence of the Lamb of God, the ultimate sacrifice for the sake of our world. It's just an image that shows you about Jesus being all about serving under. Um, The third image um, is, is this, uh, it's a donkey. Now you do want to punch that in the face, right? Like that's just what, it's what you want to do with a donkey. You don't hug a donkey. Um, I don't know. I've never had one. Maybe you do if you have them. Um, but really this is about his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And I don't know if you remember this part of the story, but you think about it. We start with his birth and he shows up in a manger with no place to, to lay his head. He doesn't even have a, a palace to be born into. And then, and then we go to, uh, the, the lamb where, where John is basically saying, look, he's here to die. For you and I to lay down his life for us. And then you get to, um, to, to, to this image, the donkey, where Jesus comes into Jerusalem the last week before the crucifixion. It's known as Palm Sunday. This is how different Jesus did it. Um, he shows up on a donkey, the tri- triumphal entry um, into a city. It was a commonplace event for military leaders in Rome. Roman generals, they displayed the glory of the mighty imperial army. They would come riding in chariots with horses pulling it, or they would come riding on these big white stallions. And a victorious leader enters the city. It was just that. It was triumphant. It communicated strength. It communicated fear into people that were against him. It communicated pride. And then when you look at how Jesus entered into the city on a donkey, Again, entering in humility, riding on the colt of a donkey. I don't even think it was a full-sized donkey. Like Jesus rode in, his feet might have been dragging the ground. I don't know. But that's how he chose to ride in. Rather than coming on a stallion, rather than coming in a chariot and declare how big and powerful he is, he comes riding on a donkey, just declaring, hey, I'm here to serve. I'm here to serve. I'm just a humble servant. That's how he enters into Jerusalem the last week of his, 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 time, uh, his time before the crucifixion. The fourth image 
is a towel and a basin. This really gets us to the last um, supper in the, in the upper room. Um, I think this represents one of the most uncomfortable moments in the New Testament. Um, if you really think about what's happening here, it's one of the most uncomfortable moments. Um, Jesus had been with his disciples. He was teacher. He was rabbi. He did things that nobody else uh, saw. They were following him with their life. They had done incredible things in his name. Like he said, I'm going to give you power and you're going to go out and do what I do. They go out and they do it. And now they're in this upper room, and it's before his last meal with them, uh, you know, the last supper. Um, Jesus gets up, and he takes a towel, and he puts it around his waist. And he dresses in the common attire of a slave that's about to do the menial task of washing people's feet. He pours water into a basin. He gets on his knees. And he goes around the room, washing probably the most disgusting, nasty, hairy, gross feet that you've ever seen because they wore sandals and all it was was dust everywhere and animal feces. Rabbis didn't do this. This was a job for a slave and the lowest of the slaves. Like if you're a slave and you're in the slave line and you pull the short end of the stick, you're washing feet. It's not even a slave thing. It's the lowest of slaves. And here is Jesus, God in the flesh, giving us an, an image of servant leadership. Saying this is what it means to, to serve. To become a servant to those around you. The Apostle Paul, he wrote um, to followers of Jesus about this in Philippians 2. He says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. What was Jesus doing in that moment, getting on his knees, saying, you guys are more important than me? Is that true? No, because it's like God in the flesh. But what was he doing? Thinking of them as better than himself. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he had all the power of God wrapped in a human body. He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. He didn't... He, 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 Instead, he gave up his divine privilege. He gave up all of the privilege that he had. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue should declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What does that point to? It's like the way of Jesus is down. All our culture, we lift up and worship the prideful and those who have achieved. That's who we say we need to be like. That's who we put on pedestals. But in the end, according to this passage of scripture, in the end, who does God lift up? Who does God lift up? The humble. Who does God lift up? Who's victorious in the end? The servant, those who serve. Why? Because in many ways, they allow God to be the object of worship. They don't want it for themselves. They allow God to shine and God to be in the spotlight. And I will just tell you this image. I want to camp on it for a couple more minutes because I think for many of you, this is your next step spiritually. If you want to know kind of your next step into growing spiritually, it is a step into serving. And it is a step into serving here. Why? Because it's a step down. It's a step down out of the bleachers into the playing field. It's a step towards grabbing a towel, putting it on your arm and serving other people. 
That's the posture of the church. The church should be full of people with a towel around their arm going, how can I serve you? It's a race to the back of the line. That should be the church, a race to the back of the line. It's a, it's a hey, let's out-serve each other until it gets just ridiculous. Like, let's just give it a shot of out-serving each other. And so this is what I want you to do. I want to take a moment, because we do this about three times a year. I want you to grab inside your program. I want you to grab your program. I want you to pull out this insert. Just pull out this insert. I want you to look at it. This to me, this piece of paper represents this image. This piece of paper represents an opportunity to serve others and give your life away for Christ's sake. Because let me just tell you, every Sunday, our mission is to put together an experience in here, in the lobby, in K-Kids, in the parking lot, where not only those of us that know Christ can learn and grow in our knowledge and understanding and relationship with him, but those that don't know Jesus Christ can actually come here and maybe meet him for the first time. To do this, it requires hundreds of people that are willing to live out this image. The towel over their arm saying, can I, can I serve you? From the moment you drove on the property today, you saw people who regularly put their own desires and needs on the back burner to serve you. And so I just want to say, I want to invite you to be a part of one of our serving teams today. If you aren't serving anywhere and you've not taken a step down into putting a towel on your arm, that might be your next step spiritually. It's to start giving your life away. We ask you to serve once every two weeks. We ask you to serve one service and attend the other every other week, once a month if you can do it. Our church doesn't function without that, without people living out this image like Jesus did, laying down a part of their Sunday mornings, an hour of their time. We can't survive. We can't even open the doors of this place. And so I just want to say this, because three times a year, we really make a push and say, you know what? We need you to step onto a team. We need you to live out this value. We need all of us to live out this value. And if you want to know, if you're looking at this, you want to know the two biggest areas of need, it's in our K-Kids area where you're serving families and you're giving people that don't know Jesus the opportunity to drop their kids off in a safe place to learn about Jesus while they can come here and not be distracted and not, not worry about their kids being safe and they might hear about Jesus for the first time. It's a part of, of helping everyone be transformed and mobilized by Jesus. And it's our setup in, 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 in teardown teams. It's like we've got warriors that show up on Sunday mornings and if you're an early morning person, would you just... Fill this out, put in the offering in a little bit, and we'll contact you about it and see if we can work out some time for you to serve if you're an early morning person. If you're willing to be here till 1 o'clock or 1.15 in the afternoon um, a couple of times a month, um, you can be on our teardown team. You can help us transition this school to a church and then this church back into a school on Sunday mornings. It's like we, we need help to fill um, some roles that we have because we have people that take breaks um, and they're serving throughout the year, and we need to fill those spots, and we need people that are just on deck, ready to be a part of what God wants to do, and give their life away, and live out this image, and so I just want to ask you right now, if you are interested in being one of our teams, take the pen you have, fill that out, and put in the offering in a couple minutes. Mark what you'd be interested in, we'll contact you, and we'll talk it through with you, but this is one of the few times where we're like, guys, your next step spiritually might be stepping down into serving on one of our teams here. And being a part of one of our teams and getting to know some of the coolest people that I know because they're right in this place serving and regularly giving their lives away for Christ. So please do that over the next few minutes because in God's economy, the way up is down. And I've got one more image I want to give to you, but we're going to receive our offering. So ushers, um, if you guys can come on down, we're going we're gonna to receive the offering right now.
And for those of you, if you're filling out a card, go ahead and fill it out and you can get it in there um, real quick. Um, but I want to just say this, uh, for this moment, if you are a regular attender of Kensington, um, this moment is for you where we give back to God from what he's blessed us with. If you're a visitor and you're here for the first time or two, um, I just want to say, let the basket go by. I don't want you to feel compelled to give a thing because this service is literally our gift to you. We are grateful that you are here. Um, and then while, while we do that, I want to give you our last image, and that is this. It is um, the bread and wine. It is Jesus willingly going to the cross, um, uh, paying the ultimate price for our sins. Um, uh, and he gave us a way to remember this until he comes back. It's called communion, which we're going to do over the next few minutes. What happened on that night, the night before Jesus was arrested and crucified during the Last Supper with his disciples, Jesus grabbed a loaf of bread and he broke it. And he said, hey, this bread represents my life, my body, that will be broken for you. In the future, when you do this in my name, when you do communion in the future, remember my sacrifice. And then he took a cup filled with wine, and he said, this wine represents my blood that's going to be poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. When you drink of this in the future, remember, remember the forgiveness that was paid for with my blood that's going to spill out of my body. The disciples had no true idea what he was talking about until after the crucifixion. At some point, they went, oh my God, he gave us a way to remember this until he comes back. And so every time we break the bread and drink the cup, we are confessing and admitting that true power comes from selflessness. Because through the act of humility, Jesus took on the nature of a servant, obedient to death for you and I. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you that you lived a life and that you've given us imagery throughout scripture that really shows us how to be great in your kingdom. And Lord, I thank you that every single one of us can be great. Every single one of us can be the greatest in your kingdom. And so Lord, I pray right now as we enter into this communion moment, I pray, Lord, that you would just speak to each one of us as we, as we have a little bit of quiet time to connect with you. As we remember your sacrifice and remember that you laid your life down for us, Lord, show us where you want us to lay our lives down for you and for other people. In your holy name, amen.